following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. Welcome to this month's review. We are going to be reviewing the Steven Seagal hit Marked for Death. Um, as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy, Michael. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? And can we call this a hit? Is this, uh, is this as a hit? <laughs> I mean, I guess if it's taken the October number for us here, we got to throw it a bone one way or another. But uh, I don't know. I mean, as, as Steven Seagal movies go, I guess it's a a hit i guess yeah <laughs> so, um, i'm being generous i suppose uh we'll see <laughs> maybe that's a uh a uh, sign of things to come here um michael um went ahead and took a bunch of notes this time far um, too you know, many notes yes far you know, too many for anybody who's been listening uh michael and i have been definitely doing the notes thing and i uh got his list before i could see the movie and i looked at his list and what do you have here uh 82 83 82. bullet points <laughs> i said to myself you know what i'm not gonna take notes this time because <laughs> I, you and i both did notes on ghosts and i sat there trying to combine those two and it was like Ugh, okay yeah, no, so I, I, I i'm not doing that. that again so maybe we'll just keep tossing this back and forth with who's who's penning out all this what, what's next month's movie just to be uh, home alone oh okay so i don't even need to take notes on that i could just kind of fly off the handle with that one and let it go yes <laughs> um, but we're gonna dive right in on this so why don't we start it off um sir with with your first thoughts on uh on mark for death here so obviously it's an action schlock, you know, nonsensical movie, and it's loaded with action and violence with minimal to no story. <laughs> but overall, other than the significant plot holes and and clearly things that just got cut out of the movie at certain points, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty fun, like for a crummy. 90s action movie i thought it was pretty fun what about you i 
I had a hard time with this one. It's funny because I, I think I mentioned in the last episode that me and my buddies, when we were growing up, used to really like watch these and kind of poke fun and whatever. And it definitely still feels like that for me. I feel like I almost needed to be watching this with you or somebody else yeah. that I could have been I like, so you know, razzing it at the time. Um, as a solo watch, it kind of just like didn't stand up for me. Um, I mean, we'll certainly get into it as we go, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it's probably worth um, talking the the notes about um, this movie because uh, I think we kind of glanced on a few things last time. So maybe we'll do that before we get into the the real deep dive here. Um, so I pulled up uh, yeah, Mark for so, Death. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I pulled up Mark for Death over on IMDb. Um, it's rated over there a six out of ten. So take with that what you will. I don't. <laughs> I don't know that this was a critically That's even a little thing. high. I would say. Yeah, <laughs> that was high. <laughs> I mean, so, like I said, it's fun and and you know nonsensical, but I don't yes. know if it's even a six out of ten. I mean, yeah, <laughs> um, this is directed, and we mentioned this a little bit last time by Dwight H. Little. Um, it's written by, and I'm probably going to butcher this guy's last name, but Michael Grayus, Grayus, Grace, okay, and Mark Victor. Um, I took a look at them, and basically, the, they actually double team wrote as well. Um, Poltergeist is kind of their other big um, movie, so um, they both popped up on that one. Uh, the movie obviously stars Steven Seagal. Um, past that, uh, the main kind of character, the villain, as it were, um, who we'll get into, Screwface, is played by an actor named um, Basil Wallace. I took a look at him. This seems to be his biggest deal, too. Um, he's had a couple other little oddities and different things that he's done over time. But um, this kind of is his breakout big role, <laughs> I guess. Um, and I'm sure really? we'll have some stuff to talk me. about. Yeah, there as well. Um, past that, as we said, um, kind of in the first part, we've got Keith David. There's a few other interesting people throughout, but uh, just not too many people of, of real note um, to, to kind of didn't There's you mention much past that nobody of note uh, yeah so yeah. um why don't we just uh go into o it other um, than yeah so so people of note the only character that is really recognizable today that wasn't recognizable back then is a very young danny trejo and <laughs> in the beginning of the movie uh seagal is chasing down uh, trejo in like I guess it's somewhere in Mexico or it's supposed to be Mexico. And yeah, I think he's in Costa Rica is where uh, they were Costa Rica. Um, okay. Planting him. Yeah. I gotcha. think I could be wrong. And so he, he chases him down and he beats Trejo with one punch and like just knocks <laughs> it out cold. And it's just so weird. Cause I'm like, Danny Trejo could have killed him in no problem in real life, but, <laughs> but so yes, he is machete. Exactly. So he throws him in the trunk of a car and then I forget kind of what happens for a little while. Cause I, it's been a, at least a week and a half since I watched the movie. So, <laughs> so we find out early. I just on, watched this like a couple days ago and I've already forgotten most of it. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I forgot already. That's why I'm going to look at these notes and be like, Oh boy. Um, so, uh, Seagal is a DEA agent, but he's he's like excessively brutal and and like extremely abusive to his partner, who's supposed to be like his best friend. But he's only in about two scenes in the whole movie before he gets killed off right away. Um, Seagal is like 
overly macho in this movie and that's very common for the time like he, like the hero or the, the the cop or whatever is this super macho guy the only thing that really kept bothering me and kept distracting me throughout the whole movie is i know his signature thing is his ponytail <laughs> but it felt like it looked fake at times or maybe with even like extensions or something like that because it's just it moved weird and it was kind of uh strange the the beginning of the movie feels like a bad knockoff of el mariachi <laughs> and um it's it's fine whatever it's 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 cheesy and no i definitely agree with you i mean to all of those points like Stagall movies are always over the top in so many respects but you're this so thing right. comes out the gate yeah the i mean you know and it, it kind of comes up again in 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 the short term here, which is that, you know, he's like, I guess they're almost playing it off. Like he's like a little too into what he's doing right now. And he almost needs to like rein himself back in, which as you say, probably first plot hole in the movie is like this concept that he wants to kind of like rein himself back in retire kind of just doesn't even bother doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And I guess you could argue it's quasi circumstantial, but like, yeah, there's like a lot of weird pretense for him deciding all of a sudden, like everything he's been doing, he's not going to do anymore only to continue doing it. So I don't know. Very bizarre. <laughs> so they, you know, there's a couple of weird things that happen. They, they like, uh, they shoot up a girl. Like he's, he's chasing around people just as his partner gets shot and killed. he, he basically machine guns this woman who's fully naked. And it's just bizarro. It's like, okay, super strange. And then after he like leaves Costa Rica, the first time we see him again, he's in a confessional in a Catholic church, like saying or telling the priest that he's like murdered all kinds of people. And he, you know, he, he feels so remorseful for all the things he's done, but the acting <laughs> is so unnatural and doesn't feel genuine that it made me want to throw up. It was like, this is horrible. Like they shouldn't have just cut the whole religious element out of this movie. Cause it really yeah. doesn't play in it in anything later on in the film. I mean, I'd say a few things to that. I, I think in one respect, first of all, bad acting again, you remember it's what we're watching here? Yeah, <laughs> you know this is this is one step above a porn movie. I mean, like you know, we're not we're not in like the acting <laughs> realm of things here. You know, I'm not expecting any sort of Oscar thing, so I, I'm not even going to touch that. But actually, I see what you meant in that scene. It was very cringeworthy. Even the priest delivery to him feels so stiff and just like oh, eh. and you don't even see the priest. You don't even see him. He's just like through the 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 the, the fake the screen, screen yeah. or whatever, but. But this is exactly kind of what I was getting at. And you kind of mentioned the two things right there, which is that like he sort of cites like killing that woman as like one of these things that like is like the straw that broke the camel's yeah. back for him as to why he wants to all of a sudden retire and get away from this life. And like, I, I don't remember so well. Maybe he mentions that he's really upset over his partner's death, something like nope, that. I don't recall. Doesn't say it at all. Maybe not. Yeah, I'm giving it too much credit. But <laughs> but like. Really? That's the thing that sets you off? I mean, I, I, the way he goes through the rest of this movie is like the Terminator. He's just like laying waste to all these people. So you can yeah. tell that like even as a DEA agent, which seems like a stretch, but, you know, you, you suspend your disbelief in these type of things that people would be killing quite so many people. 
that apparently he's like he's human been, RoboCop in this movie. Yeah, been like murdering all these uh, ponytailed RoboCop. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, murdering various gangsters and all this sort of thing. But like then, like this one woman is what breaks it for him. This one woman that just like in cold blood, straight up tricked and murdered his partner. Like that's what yeah. finally. I don't know. I mean, again, this isn't like the epitome of like great writing, great acting, great direction, or great, great cinema. anything. You know, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, there's plenty to pick apart with this sort of thing, but it is such a bizarre little hook in the beginning to sort of set up yeah. anything because it, it just doesn't go anywhere. Like, his, like, he's like a two minute retirement. He's retired long enough to like go visit a few friends and then like do nothing with it, you know, and he's back in the game yeah. again. So the thing that's really weird about this movie is you don't actually find out his name of the film till literally nine minutes of the movie when the, his like DEA boss calls him John Hatcher. Otherwise, he's literally just Seagal and that's it. You don't even know who he is for nine minutes of the film. You're like, OK, what is this guy's name? And like we saw in the trailer, they promote it as if this is a sequel to those other movies. And it's not. It's totally unrelated. Yeah. Um, Again, the names in Seagal movies are so inconsequential. Even though everybody throws the movies like Hatcher, 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 Hatcher you know, it's just yeah. like they even it, call it, him it, Hatch at certain points. We're like, okay. I, I really ought to spend a minute and try and go see like what his various character names are because I'm sure they're all like kind of like over the top macho sounding names, but like Hatcher, Hatchet, I don't know. Like it's like <laughs> a couple of them are like Gino and like it's a couple of like Italian names. Yeah. Like um. So. The one thing that I noticed that I thought was kind of interesting was like he wears the all black thing, the whole black <laughs> outfit, but he's got a collared shirt buttoned up all the way to the neck. But like there's no tie and it just looks so awkward. <laughs> it's just a weird observation that it I had. Been, it would have been great if he wore a tie, like something like really silly, like one of those ones with like smiley faces on the, them or the piano <laughs> keyboard. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. No, that would have been good. Yeah. I, you know, we mentioned this briefly in the other portion of the podcast. That's his weird thing. I don't know what it is. If it's like a take on Johnny Cash or, or I don't know. He, he's always into like wearing black. He wears the collar very high. I, I don't know. It's 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 the Seagal look, I guess. Yeah. So the the main thing of the whole movie, the real hook of the movie is he's he sees like um he goes to visit his do- his sister, right? And he meets his sister's uh, daughter, and he has this very weird conversation. He hasn't seen this kid in what establishes years. And he says, I am your uncle. You've grown up to be a big girl. I am your uncle, and you've grown up to be a big girl. (laughs) The way he says it sounds so dirty and disgusting. (laughs) It made me want to throw up. And a lot of the first act is very heavy handed on the family aspect of it, as well as the Catholic faith. But once we get into like the second act, all of that stuff kind of goes away completely. I wouldn't even say the second act. I mean, I I feel like it drops out pretty quick, pretty quick. And, you know, again, I, this is, I guess, something I was thinking about when you kind of mentioned the thing before that, you know, there's obviously many people that serve in the military or in agencies like the DEA, things like that, that are very religious. And I think it becomes a thing for a lot of them, like how do they balance their faith 
with the things that they have to do as part of the job. So like, I understand why somebody brings that in, you know, that's not the first time that's ever happened in one of these movies, but like, he just drops it so darn quick. And then I don't feel like, as you say, I don't think it ever comes back up again. So it, it definitely feels a little tacked on. (laughs) So there's a lot of things that happen in the first couple of minutes of the movie that are, that are early on foreshadowings. Like he pulls up in this really fancy, like, all black Mustang Mach 1. He goes into what you would assume is his childhood bedroom or like his his bedroom he would return home to, but they don't really establish how this is his room or if it was his room, other than the fact that like you see these like swords in the bedroom, which kind of like prelude to the later sword fight in the movie. (laughs) And then he like opens up a drawer and he starts like putting together and cleaning guns and he has this little palm, like handheld or palm gun, like you kind of like would pop out and have yeah, like a little tiny bitty, pistol. Yeah. But we don't see that gun ever again in the movie. It just they just kind of show it for a second, and I'm, and I said to myself, "Oh, we're gonna see this gun later on," and it never comes back. Like I thought, it's funny. Yeah, I had that exact thought. Yeah, and I was, you know, <laughs> failed foreshadowing. Maybe it's on the cutting room floor somewhere that he, you know, used that to take somebody down at some point, but. You're so right. There's so many movies that, that have like the little hidden gun trope, you know, the little tiny gun that gets established yeah. at one point and then finally comes out, you know, whether it's a villain wielding it or a hero wielding it at some point to to do something. It was bizarre, you know, and like it, he was watching something on TV or something, wasn't he or something? I don't remember. Yeah. There's something going on with that, too. And he, watching like some sort of like some video or something. Like he old, looked really happy uh, about like putting this little thing. gun back together, you know, like it was like he, he like yeah. puts it together and, he, and it like works. It was almost like it was something that had been broken and he had like finally found the part to fix it or something. But I don't know. It felt very, right. again, tacked but, on and bizarre. They spent so much, like, they spent so much time on this particular sequence or like series of shots that I'm like, this gun is going to come back. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. So I mentioned the niece and the, the bad guys, they come and attack his house and they shoot up the whole house. And the niece gets shot and she ends up in a hospital in, in a coma. I would have thought like he would have given that gun to her or her mother. And that would have been, I don't like, know if giving a gun to a child is a, is a it, positive image here either. <laughs> it's happened though. I've seen it in movies. And if it would happen in a Seagal movie, you'd have to believe that it would happen. So I thought that was how it was going to play out. Either that or the sister was going to have it or something was going to happen. Yeah. But, that's an interesting point, but that doesn't play out. So <laughs> the, the villains of the film are these like, uh, Jamaican drug lords and and the posse, <laughs> posse, and it's like it's so overtly racist when you look at it through like the lens of 2020. How they're having these guys act, and I mean there are like a lot of stereotypes to how they're portrayed. Well, I think that's just the thing. I mean, like again, is it? <laughs> I'm trying to put myself back in like the 1990 window of time, and I'm trying to think about like. Was there like big trouble with Jamaican drug dealing at that point in time? I certainly don't remember that being the case. No, I mean, not that I would have been necessarily been tuned into that stuff when I was that age. Old. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, not so much do I do I feel like that was the thing. But what you're getting at is, I think the thing where this kind of falls apart is I think they have a lot of non-Jamaican actors playing Jamaican, yeah. and that's such a specific 
finicky accent to get correct and treat normally. And, you know, like everybody kept coming off in this as um, <laughs> what's his face from uh, Cool Runnings? Sanka? Sanka, but the, the name of him now. I want to say Tanka, it's Marky Mark, but that's not right. <laughs> not Marky Mark. That is not the right actor. Dougie Doug, excuse me. <laughs> Dougie Doug, yes. Dougie Doug. So they it do just comes come off like Dougie Doug. It comes off feeling like a Dougie Doug impression, you know? And it's just like, I don't know. It, it uh, It's like you got like cool runnings comes out <laughs> a few more years later here. And there's all these moments where I'm just like, God, some of these guys feel like a like a pre-cartoon version of that. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt yeah. very awkward, in particular, the main character, because I don't at all get the impression that he's actually Jamaican and he had the most legwork to do with this very over the top voice and accent with that. And uh, and he drops out a few times. If you. If you yeah, I'm sure we'll closely, circle back when we get to talking out of about Screwface. Yeah, but, you know. As you say, it just ends up feeling kind of awkward and I don't know. (laughs) There's so many movies, both in past and really some in present, where it's, you know, the white American guy is taking on like the whatever, you know, skin color group that are inherently the bad guys. And, you know, it's not great. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's it's never great. And this one just doesn't feel um all that great either here, particularly with like a lot of the tropes that they tack onto them with the sort of um, voodoo and Rastafarian and so. Uh, let's yeah. talk about that for a second. Sure. So, so in this movie, as I mentioned, there's a lot of like Catholic elements early on in the film, but there's also this like element of voodoo and fortune tellers and like the powers of the spirit world and it kind of comes off like they're trying to establish that this screw face guy who's got these very odd colored eyes, like it's almost as if he's supernatural and he goes and sees a fortune teller. And apparently for fortune tellers, when you want to like see the future or solve some sort of mystery, you have to sacrifice a chicken naked in a bathtub and like swim around in the naked chicken, the dead chicken's <laughs> blood. And and somehow when she sort of like this fortune teller foresees something like it somehow connects to to Screwface across the other side of the city, like that psychologically or like spiritually, he's connected to her. And it's very, very confusing. And you're like, I don't understand what's happening here. Like, I get the voodoo uh, is like a, a trope of of Jamaican culture, but it's not necessarily all jamaican culture but it's a it's a it's a trope that you see in movies i don't understand why the fortune teller had to show up why she needed to be naked and like i said why she needed to sacrifice a chicken in a bathtub and then swim around in its blood i don't i didn't get that. yeah i i loosely remember the context of it except to say that something to do with his gang i don't know yeah like there, there was definitely like and again I don't know enough about this particular portion of that culture. If it's something that's heavily practiced in that group or not, it's not something I feel like a bunch of like drug cartel, posse drug dealer people would be like that superstitious and into, I could be way wrong on that. 
Um, you know, I how many posses do you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. I don't, I don't want to self-incriminate or anything, but uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it just, uh, it seemed like an interesting extra element that they added on, and like knowing that those two writers for this movie also like wrote Poltergeist, maybe that helps inform it. Maybe they're really coming more from the horror end of things and they decided they wanted to have like a little bit of like a scary horror element rather than this guy just be like you know normal gang leader kingpin sort of guy right i mean it it does add an interesting facet to it in so much as that i feel like you haven't seen something like that as much and it also kind of goes to the cultish level of like the belief that the rest of his gang has in him i guess I, i don't know it's it's an interesting angle to take i just it's not what you expect from this sort of just, you know, action movie where there's a bad guys and they did a bad thing and now he's going to go get them. Like, it just seems like an unnecessary extra thing to sort of add in. Yeah. And, and as you say, there's these kind of curves like that. And I don't remember, unfortunately, the exact context of the movie of why this woman was doing that particular fortune telling. They don't that required establish her sacri- it. I mean, I've, I've seen and heard other things with that where people, sacrifice a chicken or sacrifice a goat for blood for for fortune telling i mean that doesn't like shock me why it's in this movie a little bit of tna i guess you know i mean they they do that a few times i guess um it's it's a weird thing because like you know in this movie the villains are pretty one-dimensional and granted so is seagal so that makes a little sense but i almost wonder if like you say this voodoo aspect of it almost try they, they tried to shoehorn a little extra element to the villain, make him a little bit more mysterious or or terrifying or or just, you know, more of a wild card. I, I wonder. I don't really know. Yeah. And then he sacrifices her, right? He kind yes, of like he kills her. her and he, he kind of sets a trend of doing that kind of through the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, sometimes more or less successfully, depending on who he's tried to strap down. But again, like. I don't I don't know. She seemed like an odd addition. I don't really understand what her point was, why he killed her. I don't <laughs> maybe I wasn't paying attention enough. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of the things where you're kinda like looking at it, you're like you kinda lose attention because it's a little confusing at times. Um Yeah. So I guess one of the other but, things that happens in the the interim here, which um is probably worth pointing out, is that in his retirement, he's um gotten back friendly with um his kind of good buddy um from years back the high school football coach yeah high school football coach who has for years apparently thought he had been killed in some thing in a war or yeah dea stuff i don't know it sounded almost more like a war zone thing so i guess nobody told poor poor keith david um who i think is um max um uh, that uh that's his name i, I just remember i think it was something like, that. like the coach <laughs> yeah and that's and that's fair um you know so he kind of hooks up with him again um and uh this is where they start really introducing the gang sort of thing in that these <laughs> this very over the top almost 90s drug psa that these like high schoolers are like hanging out on the benches oh watching God. the sports team and the, like these the rich white like, kids are buying hey, the drugs from yeah yeah hey you want this it's like is it crack yeah man you know and then like they're all just like yeah, all right let's crack. crack right here in like broad daylight in front of the school while the team is is uh practicing i was like <laughs> okay sure why not 
And then like the yeah. fact that you the coach the is like going to go the talk. money. Exactly. Coach is going to go try and like talk to those guys. And Seagal's like, leave it alone, leave it alone, which is like not the tack that you would think he would take being that he's a drug enforcement right. agent. And, you know, maybe, maybe in so much yeah. as like That's where he'd be like, all right, look, you're a high school coach. You don't need to do this. I'll go talk to him. But no, he just wants to like retire and have nobody apparently deal Let with it go. these people. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed like an odd drug character dealer. choice. <laughs> Yeah, it was odd. Like he Seagal goes out of his way to basically tell his friend, let it go. Like you're literally watching a drug deal go down. I'm like, this is your j- retired or not. Like that just seems peculiar. But it, right. it felt a little there's a lot of things like that. And there's certain parts of this movie where there's just like. Things that don't make sense. Like There's this long conversation in a bar. And they're having this, it's a lot of exposition, kind of like ex- explaining the world or establishing what's happening in this town, which it goes from a town to being literally Chicago in parts of the movie. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, it's somewhere outside of Chicago. Then it's literally the next block over is Chicago. I think that's the thing. I think you and I were chatting about this the other day that we were both trying to figure out, like, where is this taking place? And I think, like, as you sort of say, where his, like, family home is and where the coach is is sort of like, chicago suburb and then other portions then are in like mainstream chicago so and and if you've ever been near chicago it it definitely has a huge suburban sprawl surrounding the main center so i could see that but it it didn't do a lot to explain sort of where they were or or, you know what the deal was necessarily yeah and then you know they're having this big conversation and there i noticed i'm like gee it's been a long time since there's been like a major action sequence in this movie. And then within seconds, machine guns are just shooting up everybody (laughs) in the place. And, you know, there's so much gunfire in this small dive bar and people are getting lit up all over the place. But, and this is a a cliche nineties thing for gunfire all the time. The hero could be literally five feet from an Uzi and they can't get a bullet on him. They can't even rip his shirt. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't recall 100% why the shootout happened. If they, it were was they were looking for somebody else. They were looking for somebody else. Because when, when they're in the bar, like, they're, again, sort of rehashing the conversation from the field about, like, oh, there's those guys, and that they're always involved, and they're bad news and all this sort of thing. So, yeah. I think it's the only time you sort of see like the gang on gang sort of thing. I think they just did it to incite an incident like that and sort of um, pull it in. But then I guess, yeah, he attacks Tagal attacks the guys. And then he's sort of like, you're dead now, you know, sort of thing. And that's what sort of now sets us off on the rest of the trail of the movie. That's what sort of sets off the, uh, the gang why his go family is marked and all this sort of thing. Right. Cause yeah. or he, he arrested him. I don't remember. He, it's, he killed somebody and then he like, he arrested somebody else or he like pinned him down, let the cops get him. And uh, because like the FBI or somebody ends up showing yeah, up so, and like so chatting with him is, about it. Yeah. So basically the cops come this random FBI agent that apparently knows this random DEA agent. But you find out much later in the film that they kind of worked on a job together. Like, but it, it happens maybe in 45 minutes later in the film that, you, that they establish that they know each other. But so this one guy who gets arrested they the Screwface hires jimmy fingers the lawyer to get him <laughs> off 
and uh, you know gets this guy out, and then somehow or another, and it doesn't make any sense how that really happens. Seagal later on finds Jimmy Fingers. I didn't. I couldn't pick up how he even learned that this was the guy that got him off or anything or where he lived or any. It just was very confusing. But um, it's just there's stuff that's all over the place. And it's a little confusing at times. And I'm trying to figure out where, you know, I feel like it was written one way and then it was cut out of order and put and like <laughs> mishmashed together because certain things just didn't fall into place properly. Yeah, um, I mean, it might be a little of like, again, cutting room floor possibilities, or it might just be like that, like, you know, again, suspended disbelief, like cop intuition, like, oh, you know, they probably went to that Jimmy Fingers guy because he's the local scumbag, you know, lawyer that gets all these sort of dirty people off. Yeah, he's um, like the better call Saul of this movie. Yeah, <laughs> which is an insult to poor Saul. But yes, <laughs> um, but that's actually a. a that was a great scene um, where he kind of goes in and starts sort of like interrogating him and, you know, like, Oh, that was a that was probably one like, of the better scenes in the movie. I feel like this is where you first like really get the idea that he's going to be sort of um, going off the rails a little bit because, you know, you and I were chatting and we have it in our notes here that like, it's like, well, is he retired or is he not retired? You know, cause he, he's insisting to everybody yeah. that he is, but He's also like starting to explore this stuff, obviously, before the stuff that happens. I think this is before the stuff that happens with his family or when does no, when does no, he get after it's it? Yeah. So, all right. So we're skipping so around a little after. too much now. So so it's again worth pointing out that in the interim, um, the uh, folks have come by and shot up his sister's house, which leads to like one of the weirdest like reactions from his his sister, which is like, they hurt my baby. Like, <laughs> like Johnny, they hurt my baby. No. Oh, her acting, her acting. I don't know where they found her. They must have found her in the Chicago suburb. And they're like, oh, you kind of look like you could be related to Seagal. We're going to have you in this movie because she was probably the worst actor in the whole movie. I mean, there's that, but then the other weird thing is they sort of made like an odd choice, which was like, it was like quasi slow motion, if I'm recalling it correctly. I, I don't 100% remember. I felt like it was sort of like, I don't know, stretched out in that moment. Oh, I yeah. don't know. It was a long. So, so to back up, so Seagal's kind of like jogging with his, with the gym buddy, the, the, the football coach. He gets home and then, then they show up and they just start shooting up the place. And it it happens like they're firing machine guns, but it's happening really slowly. And yet, like, Seagal kind of like can't get to the niece to protect them. He kind of he dives on the ground, but he doesn't really protect his family. And dives then, on the ground and starts crawling all over the place. I didn't quite understand. He yeah. was like really like crawling, crawling, crawling. And I'm like, where is he trying to get to? Like, yeah. you know, he, like... he wasn't trying to get to his family. That's for sure. Yeah. And And so, you know. Once they drive away, we find out that the bad guys or the 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 posse has a bullet has got, has shot his niece, and they don't establish where she was shot. If you shot in the head or the chest or something, but they they get her to the hospital, and she's in in like a coma, and 
you know, the sister blames Seagal for for this happening. You brought this on our family kind of thing. And then he goes to the the some random doctor and <laughs> says, you treat this girl like she's the president of the United States. And then he leaves. And we never well, no, no. It Like the best part is like the doctor cuts him off and he's just like. He's like, well, sir, you know, we try we try and treat every patient here like, you know, like as if yeah. they're. Yeah. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Treat this girl like and it's like, OK, OK. You met her yesterday. <laughs> you you've never met her. She's your niece, but you've met her yesterday. I was like, oh, God, I just thought it was so really bad. funny. The doctor looked really put out by him. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, it's pretty funny. But the weird part about that is I don't think we ever go back to see the niece ever again. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I he don't ha- think so. He has this weird kind of moment where he's sitting in her her uh ICU by himself, like holding her hand. But then we literally never see of her again or hear about, about her again. I think we hear about her. I'm trying to remember if we see from her. I think like at, like at some point, because he has a few more connections throughout the movie with his sister. And I think at times she sort of is like, oh, you know, she's more stable now thing you know passing comments like that but it's as as you kind of say like if this little girl means all this much to him and this is what really like breaks him and sets him off and all this it is funny they never then eventually double back and we check in on her if she ever came out of it okay yeah Yeah, it is it is kind of an interesting choice i guess yeah anyway that clearly sparks off like ongoing murder spree (laughs) yeah for the rest of the thing like you know he comes it's hard to say that he becomes unhinged because you know you've seen movies where somebody like you know they're broken by something like this and they're like all right i'm gonna become like a straight-up killer now you know like something like the punisher comes to mind things like that where family members have been killed and they're like all right i'm just gonna murder everybody now this completely flies in the face of his whole like I'm retired. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's like every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. You know, I get it sort of thing. But yeah, man, this guy just like he goes on what I kind of feel like is like a really odd murder spree because I can't quite understand why one person he'll run up to and like stab to death and then the next person he'll like punch on the floor and then like leave them alone and you know like i don't know and i'm sure we'll get into it as we start going through some of the individual fight scenes and things like that but like it's so he'll throw people out of a window and then he'll knock somebody unconscious it's like what okay yeah he's he's like i don't even want to say that he's calculated in his murders but he's sort of like he's like selective in his murders even though he's he's clearly out to you know it's I, I hate to use the Steven Seagal. He's out for justice now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. But like, so what happens is he, you know, he kills Jimmy Fingers. He kills some other guy. And then we find out from this, this blonde that he's kind of been talking to who they try to shoehorn in some sort of like romantic chemistry I don't know if she's like a she's not the reporter, though. She's like somebody else. Yeah, she she was like off 
on the side of the scene, if I remember correctly, when the FBI had showed up. It's yes. almost like she's like a FBI profiler or yeah, somebody she's some that's sort of investigator. or something. Yeah. yeah, she she's like a psychologist, is like the, or like because like she knows like the the background yeah. of like the the reason why the um the Jamaican posse is the way they are and, and their stuff because obviously she starts talking to him about the marked for death thing with yeah, like, like cow tongue and, and things like that. Yeah, and, they like they you know more or less you know put like this like, like symbols and symbols things. and things on his house. And it's like, oh your family's been marked for death now. Which by the way, like if we like jump back a minute, like what is the order in which a posse like this marks somebody for death? They drive by the house and unleash gunfire on it first and then come back to put the cow tongue and the, th- the warnings. I mean, like, wouldn't you think you'd do that the other way around? And by the way, and I'm sure we'll get to it. Like, why would you come and stay in that house after either right. of those? Like, <laughs> the sister stays there. Like she lives in this house and is like, it's all boarded up. There's like cow's blood all over the place. <laughs> like, why would you you'd think it would be a closed down crime scene? At go to point. your mother's or something. For God's sake. I don't understand it. It was very bizarre. And it's just like a weird thing. I don't know. The one thing I will say about that psychologist, and I don't know if if she truly has that accent or if it's something she's playing up. I don't I don't know her background as an actress, but like such an interesting voice. And I know I was poking fun at her when we were doing our trailer review of that. Like it's just like such a bizarre accent. I cannot place for the life of me what, what part con- of the world yeah. that's supposed to be that from. I don't know. <laughs> It's almost like a German Swedish kind of amalgam, I guess. I don't yeah. know. It's like it's it's very. Bizarre. I love that line where I think it's like the FBI guy says to her something like, "Oh, he's not functional," and she's like, "He looks functional to me." It's like it's like what? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they were going for. Yeah, um, and then it sort of starts off a like. I don't know, like a relationship, not necessarily a like a love relationship with her, but like she's attracted to him, clearly. Like she's like <sighs> she makes several kind of like come ons to her to him, but he's like I don't know, he's almost like asexual. He doesn't even like pick up on her her advances, if you will. He just yeah. kind of doesn't acknowledge it. She becomes like a weird role because she's almost like that like man in the chair role for like a minute where it's like She's kind of feeding him like the information he needs to know to start kind of infiltrating or or going after their group and like their background and the reasons. I don't know. I mean, she's she's like Basil exposition for us, like for stuff that we don't really need exposition on. You know, like she's telling the audience about yeah the the Santeria voodoo, whatever you want to call that sort of stuff that they're that they're practicing. I'm probably not got the right word for it, but you know. It's it's like you set up this thing and then you have to set up somebody to explain the thing. It just feels heavy and pointless. <laughs> hey, hey, Pete, you there? What's going on? Hey, he- hello? What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, who is this? It's me, Pete. Oh, hey, oh, hey. <laughs> it's almost Halloween time, so I thought we'd talk a minute about what our favorite scary movies are. What's your favorite of all time, Mike? Ooh, my 
favorite scary movie of all time. Ooh, I, I, I'm not good with scary movies, <laughs> but you know, it, it depends. Like, are we talking like deep horror? Or are we talking like I don't know? Because if I had to pick a real scary movie, it'd probably be The Exorcist or The Shining. Ooh, but but also. The Sixth Sense is a pretty darn scary movie at times. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's so many good things out there. I think one of the things that pops into my head probably right off the bat is Alien. Um, yeah, they, those movies, like, they just have such great kind of creepy factor to them and, like, that feeling hunted and, and like, you know, those face huggers are ugh, nightmare fuel. <laughs> well, dude, I'm going to have nightmares. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> Well, while you're having your nightmares, uh, I thought I'd mention that we're actually doing a promo right now with HalloweenCostumes.com as part of the Retro Network. So between now and October 31st, you, our listeners, can actually save 20% off of one item at HalloweenCostumes.com. If you go to our show notes, you'll actually find a link there that you can follow, but you can also go to their website and type in the coupon code TRN202020. And again, that's going to get you 20% off of any one item. So whether that's a uh, alien costume or whatever, <laughs> go check it out and support the Retro Network and check out that and get some awesome stuff on HalloweenCostumes.com. You know what I actually liked on that website? The Big Lebowski costume. It's Ooh. a robe, a beard, a tank top, and a wig. That's my kind of Halloween costume. Just well, you know what? There for you. The dude abides. The dude abides. Halloweencostumes.com, TRN 2020-20. So now this is where things get really weird. And I mean real weird. So we've established that Seagal's family has been marked for death. And somehow they the 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 posse gets into their house and the sister is still there and they they capture her or they grab her and instead of like taking her to their hideout or whatever they tie her down to a table on in the house and like you know rip her clothes open essentially and he like pours blood on her or something like that he's like ready to like this basically like cut her open and it, he says to her I want your dreams or something <laughs> And I'm like, what does that even mean? What does that mean? How does that work in this story? I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and he says something else like, I own you now and yeah. things like that. And again, I don't know. It never plays back again later. Whatever this thing is. Yeah, it kind of doesn't come back in. Um, I thought one funny note was the lengths that they went to to not bear her chest. <laughs> because you yeah. have several other women in this movie who are very like unceremoniously, like completely, you know, at least on the top, like naked Nude or things topless. like that. Yeah. And then like it, she had some spirit gum or something going there that was holding that shirt down to her because like for her raging around, oh, it table, was holding it down for dear life. Yeah, it was like, it was like, all right. So she must've had a little um, rider in her um, contract that she was not in fact going to go topless per se. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine. I I have no problem with that. There was enough nudity in this movie to yeah. to go around that was unnecessary to begin with. So whatever. And they kind of had that trope too, which was like the um, you know, it, he, it, leading up to all that, he's on the phone with her, and he all of a sudden like realizes like, oh, oh, like 
is the cop car still outside? And of course, like it's empty, you know, and like, you know, then he's like doing his mad dash to like get there but, kind of in enough But this time. is the problem that I have, right? So he's visiting the the psychologist who I don't even know what her name is in the movie. And he's in downtown Chicago. The family lives in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> he got there in like five minutes. I don't care how fast your Mustang Mach <laughs> 1 can go. It can't go that fast. Yeah, and, that's and some of that magical uh, city teleportation happening again. <laughs> and, and, and there's no police as he's speeding and running lights and whatever. It's like, uh, okay, whatever. I, I, I'll let it go. Yep. But, but so now he's fully invested. Like they've come after his family. They tried to kill his sister now. So now he's going to go all out. And he recruits his buddy, the football coach. Which who, seems like the most bizarre choice. Right. Why not ever? go to your FBI guy that you know? No, you're going to go to the gym coach who apparently moonlights as a vigilante with a sawn-off shotgun and machine guns and a wide array of, of weaponry. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'll go with it. Sure, fine. Yeah, I mean, like, he's about to literally start murdering people. And this guy is just like a high school coach. Yeah. You know, it, like, that's the type of thing where I don't even remember if they had lines like this where he was like, I'm coming with you. And it's like, no, I don't want you to ruin your, your life. No, you're, there's you're, nothing you're, like that. You know, nothing. He's just like, all right, let's go. You know, and it's just like. And they don't establish that the gym door. coach was like a soldier beforehand. Like, yeah. he's, he's just been his old chum who's the high school gym coach. They don't say that he was a, like a military guy beforehand and a pre. Nope, he's just a gym coach with a machine gun. Willing great. to stop coaching in order to just straight up commit mass murder. Yeah, <laughs> and, and go to like Columbia. And yeah, yeah. I mean, did that guy not have to like show up to school that next week? Right? I mean, like that's yeah. so bizarre. It was so weird. But the funny thing that I've noticed in this movie is. Like we've said, there's a lot of gunfire. There's a lot of random gunfire through the streets of Chicago. No innocents get killed, hurt, even hit, nothing. But Well, frankly, forget innocents. None of the main characters get hit. Yeah. Like they're shooting for, up a car. Like it's, they're shooting machine guns at the cars and nobody gets hit. Well, and like let's be fair. That was actually a really cool chase. That was a lot of fun, you know, like uh, them dashing back and forth him chasing them in the truck. They sort of had that, like that chicken moment and different things. I mean, like there was some cool stuff. It, it almost reminded me of Blues Brothers, particularly because of the Chicago <laughs> angle because yeah. the car ends up sort of like in the store and things like that. You know, it was just making me really um flashback to a much much better movie. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry, I'm a huge uh, Blues Brothers fan. But, yes, you are. Um, but uh, you know, they end up in that in that storefront, and like the the posse guys that are inside the store start sort of like fanning out, and they're going to shoot. They're basically they in, a, like, in a Sears, like or, or a Macy's. Yeah, they, they have like a two or three minute long like shootout, and like no one gets hit. No, not one, one person. And I'm like, all right, let's let's like suspend disbelief let's let's forget for a second let's say the coach can't hit the broad side of a barn because he's a high school football coach and shooting people wouldn't necessarily be his first forte let's assume that even the posse guys are like you know gun carrying people but not necessarily up on like having a dead eye aim you got to figure this like undercover dea agent guy would be required to like hit targets <laughs> 
relatively right. well. It's like it was the most bizarre gunfight that I can recollect where it's just like I can't even tell you how many shots were fired off in that scene. Probably had, hundreds. Had had, had to have been hundreds. Hit nothing. No as you said, no bystanders, none of the characters. It was like a completely pointless gun shoot with the exception that like it just brings them to a point where they're all out of bullets and therefore now to need to move into a melee portion of the fight, which is, I think, probably the only reason why it all happened, because obviously Seagal wants to start, you know, doing his his karate fisticuff sort of. But this is the funny thing about that. So like so Seagal goes in with a handgun. He runs out of bullets. He just throws the gun on the ground and he starts fighting bullets with karate and <laughs> and he kills all these guys and and eventually like you said they run out of bullets but he's just like you said meleeing them and just breaking their necks and and doing all this crazy well, and stuff. this is the thing this is where it starts getting into me like the the back and forth on why is he doing one thing one way at one time and then differently in a different different point because like I can very vividly remember from this fight scene that he gets into it with a guy that's got like this big old knife. Yes. And he sort of like disarms him and like puts the knife through the guy's chest. Just dead, murdered. My other favorite dead thing in this murdered. movie is like all these other guys like start just picking up the most random things that they could possibly find. Like there's these two guys standing kind of near like a statue or something. Mannequin maybe. And like they both like sort of like reach behind it and pull out these like conveniently placed props that would not even be there like one of them i don't know what one of them has but the guy pulls out like an umbrella yeah and the guy comes at like seagal like a folded up umbrella and i'm like what are we like now batman 66 i'm like waiting for the penguin to pop up with like a trick umbrella like what are you gonna do with that umbrella like what (laughs) like you're gonna swat him with it like it's not even like a heavy bludgeon object or something but the one thing that i noticed was when anybody comes at Seagal with hand-to-hand combat, he he does the exact same move every time. They like throw something at him, a punch, a knife, a, an umbrella. He grabs the one arm, he turns it around and breaks that one arm. Every he must have did it <laughs> ten times in the movie, and it's his one move that he keeps going back to all the time. And I'm like, this is all he's got. He can't throw a well, kick, you know. <laughs> It's funny. This is a funny thing. And I think this ends up being a case through a lot of the Seagal movies that, of course, there's always some gunfighting. There's always some like various like karate to extents. But like he's very different. And it took me rewatching this to remember this kind of about him versus some other people like we had talked about last time that you would think of as true sort of martial arts like stars. Van Damme. He doesn't do this stuff with a lot of fanfare. And I think if you asked him he would tell you that like in whatever martial art that he's up to speed on, probably the whole shtick of it is to disarm an enemy and lay them out in as uh, quick and as low energy a possible way that you possibly could, because there's a lot of martial arts that are that way. It's like, you know, you don't want to have this giant sprawling thing where you're jumping around and flipping off tables and doing all this stuff that looks cool in a movie but you would normally want to just like if I'm up against this person and I we need to fight and this is going to happen, you probably want to just like end that fight as quickly as possible. And I think that's what he's going for here and probably in a lot of his other movies. So I think he'd be the first one to tell you, like, if I'm disarming this guy, breaking his wrist it's because I want to get the weapon away from him, take him out of this fight so I can move on to the next thing. He's treating that very real world. Does that translate into action movie? 
I don't know. I think that's what ends up feeling so funny about watching him in these movies in these sort of situations is that in a real world sense, like if he had to fight those people in real life, that probably would make the most possible sense in how to fight those guys. In terms of an action movie where you're like, all right, I got my popcorn, I got my candy. It's not dramatic. It's it's just not fun. It's like, it's just just bizarre. It's just like, I'm going to cripple this guy. I'm going to stab this guy. I'm going to cripple this guy. You know, it's like, okay. You know, and he just feels... The the thing is, and again, I'm going to come back to this later when we get to talking about Screwface and the final battles. There's no stakes. Like, there's no stakes to this because he's just disabling these guys like a tank. He's just rolling over them. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's no point in time where you're like, all right, you know, like, like, like compared to somebody again, like the John McClane's of the world where you're like, you know, he's kind of superhero esque, but he's in real danger. Like there's never a point where it feels like Seagal is in any kind of real danger during this movie. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't break a sweat in this movie. No, he just kind of like rolls through these guys as if they're like complete brand new rookie out out on the street sort of people just snapping their wrists, snapping their elbows, doing whatever, laying them out. Um, and again, we'll get back to this later with some of the later scenes like this as well, but there just is no stakes. He just feels like he's bulldozing every enemy he comes across. And in one respect, it's like, all right, that's, right. that's he's literally cool. the Terminator. Well, not even, because even the Terminator, like at least with that, it's like, all right, he's like an unkillable machine. And the only thing you can do is run away from him. You know, like there's that aspect to it. Like he's chasing you down. You need to get away or whatever. And then like when it flips in T2 and he's the good guy, you know, you at least have the stakes that then there's a even worse, even crazier killing machine, even more unbeatable killing machine that, that you know, brings some some drama and conflict into it. None of these people feel like a sweat to him. None of these people feel like there's anything that they're going to be able to do that he's not going to just be able to quickly undo. So it just feels like watching the motions right. of him disassembling this group of people rather than like trying to survive and fight for his life and, and take this group of dangerous people. out, It just leaves them feeling not all that dangerous, particularly when they like are not able to shoot anyone and then like start picking up things like umbrellas to fight him. Like what the heck are you going to do with an umbrella against anybody, let alone this guy, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's, it's the real crutch with these movies that it's like, I don't know. There's just, it's just such a bizarre form of combat for him in these that just it, it it's so unfun to watch it just becomes like laughable that he's just going to disassemble these people rather than truly fight them fight them you know i don't know seems weird <laughs> yeah it is a little weird so now this is where things get really interesting we get rolling into the into this movie so like i said a lot of things kind of come back later and i knew early on when i saw this mustang mach 1 i'm like this car is gonna get wrecked and then <laughs> you you see a dump truck and he's kind of like following a garbage truck and he gets cornered and then there's like a tractor trailer or, or like a, a a payloader or bulldozer comes up behind it and like crushes him and pins him inside the car now help me out with this scene, because because as you say, I, I I might have looked away from the movie and done something else, and then looked back when this was occurring. Why was he where he was? No was he idea. Following somebody, like he just because like to me when I was watching the scene, it looked like he had pulled up to essentially like 
an area around some sort of construction site. Yeah. Um, that he was like it, waiting for that truck to move out of his way so he could kind of continue on his way. Is it like it made no sense why he was there? Known, yeah, why he was there? Yeah, that was very bizarre. And yeah, like they they of course smashed the thing up, and um, he ends up upside down they in the car. The car. This is where, like, I, in, yeah, yeah, this is where Screwface and him meet face to face. I think for the first time. Yeah, he's pinned inside the car. He meets Screwface for the first time and yada 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 he has like this and weird line like, where he's like let me introduce you to my sister and he like pulls out like a random molotov cocktail and just throws it in the car with him i'm like yeah that's your sister cool okay <laughs> right? like, but but this is the thing that's annoying about like, they this gang this posse has had no problem shooting people up like crazy or stabbing them through the throat like he had seagull dead to rights <laughs> And he decides to Molotov cocktail him instead of just taking the, the, the two trucks and crushing him or stabbing him or just shooting him. There was nowhere he could go. But they leave. He The car is burning. Seagal gets out of the car miraculously. Don't ask me how he fit through this very narrow space, but he gets out. He And all the glass is destroyed in the car. The car is crushed and whatever. He doesn't have a scratch on him, and there's not even like a like a, a a a blade of hair out of place, and no glass, nothing cut him, nothing at all. And yeah, now some more more incompetent bad guys, all those those Bond villains that always leave him to his own uh, effect to get out of a, of a situation. So I would so stand n- there and make sure that the the fire worked. <laughs> yeah. So so now like he's thrown thrust into action now. So he goes and he gets a for like the know, third or fourth time. <laughs> yeah, for the third or fourth time. He's being rethrust into action. <laughs> now he's really mad. And now he's like, they wrecked my car. And so now he gets his gym coach buddy and some other third guy. They get a cup, a bunch of weapons, a bunch of weapons. And now this DEA agent is pressing and making his own bullets and making his own silencers <laughs> for these like assault rifles and machine guns it's, yeah this scene was hilarious it's hilarious because like, it makes no sense <laughs> well like there was so many things not for nothing because he starts like throwing out like all these just dopey puns like beat my silent partner because he's got like a silent sniper rifle it's like okay guy <laughs> you know like good for you all right you know somebody wrote that in there or or he improved it on the day of i don't know Another one of the ones, and we again we joshed on it in the uh, um, the trailer thing. But I love the concept of these um, silenced um, weapons in the '90s that are all like, pew, 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 you know, like you know, oh, just completely all, all unrealistic. All and like, like they're also like, kind of as you say, they're like MacGyvering all these bizarre things. Like he, they build like a gun into like a like a movie camera, and then like I don't think they yeah. ever use Which it. You'd never like, see again. Like it's they almost they're just using that to like smuggle it onto the plane because they obviously they fly. It, I don't I don't remember the sequence of events, but it, like he gets word that like Screwface has left Chicago to go to Jamaica. I guess is one of the things that sort yeah. of happens in the interim here. So now they have to like get their stuff together and go down to get him in Jamaica. Is the whole thing. So I guess that maybe they're just trying yeah, to so get the weapons onto a plane. Maybe that's why they're hiding them because it's not like anybody ever shows up with like a camera. 
and start shooting somebody with the camera or something. I don't know. It was it was another one of these but just these very bizarre big guns. Huge guns. They somehow smuggle them onto a commercial flight to Jamaica. Him, the gym coach, and this third guy, and they they're in downtown Jamaica, and then downtown they, Jamaica. Exactly. <laughs> Where exactly is downtown Jamaica? <laughs> it's, any, it's any town USA, basically. There you go. Oh, now we're back to the US. Yeah, I like that. Downtown Jamaica. Exactly. Yes, we're we're in somewheresville, Jamaica. <laughs> and and so like the gym coach was like, "Wow, I didn't picture Jamaica to be like this." And it's like this like bustling community with like you know mom and pop shops or whatever and i'm like it's just like this this movie is so unintentionally accidentally racist it's just crazy but they they somehow figure out where screwface's hideout is and they go there and there's like this well because they end up in a club first right yes they go into the club right and they meet this girl that tells them the information yeah and actually i love um <laughs> I had a fun fact with this one. I, first of all, I was like, I was way into this song that they're playing in there, John Crow. Yes, it was a good song. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, that was a banger. <laughs> I really liked it. I really liked so it. So the funny part was because they then um double back on that and, and play that in the credits of the movie. And I was like, this is a this is a fun song. I like this song very much. <laughs> and uh I ended up looking it up, and fun fact, Seagal is credited as writing it in this song. Um, so I, I struggled. I really tried to look around to see what his involvement is. And the only thing I can really come up with is that he's known for playing guitar. Mm -hmm. So my assumption is that he must play guitar in that track because, okay. um, I forget who the, who the person is that actually, um, Jimmy Cliff, uh, it's, it's a song by Jimmy Cliff, but it says like featuring Steven Seagal. And I don't know that he is like singing in it. Hopefully <laughs> he's not singing in it as a background voice or something, but like, yeah, I really like that John Crow song. And then it also made me kind of quasi realize that I think, and I could be wrong about this. I think Screwface is called Screwface because of the Bob Marley song um, that involves um, Screwface and the lyrics and, and, and things like that. So I'm almost curious if, if that had a, had a, a thing on it, you know, I, I could be way off. Oh, I'm sure it did about that, but um, you know, there's a I can't remember. Maybe it's called Screwface. There's a Bob Marley song that involves a lyric that's like he's talking about somebody. He's he's all pouty all the time. And he ends up with a screw face. So I'm curious if that if that uh, is is what is going into that. So yeah, I I, I agree with you. The music is is good in this. I really like that John Crow. <laughs> yeah, that was a good song. And now somehow, you know, they the, the they they find out that where Screwface's hideout is. And they go there, and Seagal's got like the military grade like headset thing, like you would see in like <laughs> like Navy SEALs. But but in several scenes, the other guys don't have it on. And well, can I? I have to say something about that. Yeah, first of all, it was pointless because none of them were communicating. They with weren't each other. But, at all. But but the funniest thing about that, I miss the '90s earbud headset oh yeah that one that's kind of got like that little like loop thing that comes down along the jawline i miss that because you know if you watch like more modern movies now they've just got like that like little earpiece with like the little like twirly telephone line thing that goes behind the ear if that you know sometimes it's even smaller than that now i i really miss that little like earpiece to the commando like little mouthpiece thing 
that was a lot of fun. I remember having like GI Joes or like, actually I I was chatting with um, Adam on Twitter the other day from uh, wizards podcast. He had shown um, some of the X-Men figures you guys were talking about. um, And I had this Wolverine spy edition, which is like, why was there ever like a spy Wolverine? (laughs) Maybe I don't know. Cause I had a weapon X one at one point too, which maybe made more sense. But he had like that same thing, like that little like earbud down to the little jaw piece. I love that. That's such like a wonderful thing from the 90s that just has sadly disappeared as technologies become smaller. But nowadays with 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 the uh, communication, you don't even see that they have a they just they're just talking to each other. Like if you watch any of the CW shows, they don't even have a microphone anymore. They're just like <laughs> talking out loud. I'm like, where is this? Yeah, that or anybody's just communicating via cell phone and things yeah. like that. Now, it, it's it's a it's one of the wonderful things about watching these movies in the 90s, like pre cell phone when it was harder for people to communicate yeah. <laughs> at all times with each other. Yeah. <laughs> so so Seagal is storming the castle, essentially. And, yes. And, and he's got this giant homemade sniper rifle. And. <laughs> With the silencers. And, and it is like a castle, too. That's the fun kind of thing about it. Yeah, it is kind of a castle. A big compound. <laughs> yeah. And he, he kills like three or four guys. And then he goes in, try to be all stealthy. And then within seconds, machine guns go bananas. And they ruin the entire element of surprise. <laughs> because like, he, you know, the, the gym class... Uh, commando, as I like to call him, is just firing off a fifty caliber assault rifle, like giant grenade-sized like missiles. Yeah, <laughs> he's got like a like a light machine gun that he's like out on the wall, and it's creating a distraction. It's a very bizarre flip because, sort of as you say, Seagal starts off with his silent partner, um, you know, picking like two or three people off the wall, sort of thing that are like roaming guards. Meanwhile, there's like this big party going on in the place. And then sort of, as you say, like he goes inside and they abandon this pretense for Silent. stealth because they, they, I think he sets off or somebody sets off an explosion that like some, like takes like the power out. So then he yeah. flips onto his, night his vision good goggles. old gigantic night vision goggles that he uses for one um, second to, but like, but that, that was what's so funny to me then is that he gets into this room with all these guys that like have guns and they're trying to find their way around in the dark. And he's got a, like a, like a Uzi or something himself. And like he has the complete advantage here to just take these guys out as he's already clearly been doing outside the place with the three other guards. But doesn't kill instead it? he just kind of like quietly creeps through the room. Meanwhile, the guy, as you say, outside is like light machine gunning the walls of the place to create like a distraction, you know, sort of thing. I guess the idea is just to get people to go that way. But like, I don't understand them why, it, you know, he finds his way to screw face, but he seems like unaffected by the fact that like there's all this stuff going on because I guess his room has like candles or something. Yeah. So like we abandon the, the night vision goggles and like, you know, it just ends up with a confrontation, but like you, you kind of like lose track of like, why, where is all these other guards? Like, I guess they're just all still out trying to figure out where the machine it's gunning is coming confusing. from. You know, again, yeah. You know, like, you know. He, like he didn't somehow like go to ground when he heard all this stuff happening. I don't know. It seemed like a bunch of. All, <laughs> sort all of this thing. machine gun fire is happening. But again, nobody gets hit, nobody gets killed, and Seagal finds Screwface, and Screwface has this very weird dialogue. It makes no sense, and I couldn't place it, but I don't fully understand what's happening. But I find out later on 
that this is Screwface's twin brother? Yes. So, again, it depends on how much you're paying attention or not paying attention to this movie, but it's it's got a not-so-hidden extra plot to it that Screwface is not one but two people. And there's several times this gets mentioned, you know, like uh, the, the woman in the bar in Jamaica sort of says, like, the secret to Screwface's magic is he has, like, two heads and four eyes or something like that, you know. And it's like, oh, he must have a twin. And even somebody else earlier in the movie sort of says something like that. And you're like, oh, there must be two of them. <laughs> you know, like, so if you kind of like, if you're paying attention to those things, you can probably at some point start to pick up on the fact like, oh, there's probably two of them or or, or there's there's something to that effect going on. Uh, of course, again, we, we don't clearly get that until he's back in Chicago. Although some of his dialogue, as you say, again, sort of feeds into that something happens. I don't remember what, and Seagal ends up on the sacrifice table. Yes. Do you remember what the the string of events was? Yeah. So Did like, he knock him out? I don't remember. So a couple of the thugs come in, and he gets, like, Seagal gets overwhelmed. He's kind of, like, going through the place, shooting up people. He gets overwhelmed by, like, four guys and gets knocked out, and then he gets ends up on the the sacrifice table. Like, for, like, Five seconds before he like breaks back off of it again. Barely, <laughs> barely five seconds before he incredible hulks out of the thing and just rips the the straps or whatever and kills all the guys again. It's like, and then of course he has the first like of of what become two big sword fights, which I love. I love that there has to be any kind of sword fighting in this because like you know the cultures that I immediately associate swords with Jamaican wait <laughs> yes, what yes. no no i do not <laughs> you know, like but i guess like because he has like that weird like staff that like has like the hidden sword in it is that the thing yeah yeah i used to have a um a walking cane that had a, did a, have a hidden like sword that. in it <laughs> you know like one of those things just like goofy collecting sort of thing i don't know why i ever took it seriously but uh, i had another one that had a pool stick in it that one was really cool <laughs> um but uh yeah like first of two sword fights not the better of the two sword yeah. fights this one's like over and done in half a second the one thing i have to really give it credit for is there's a few things throughout this movie that i will genuinely give it credit that are things that i have never seen before and i have never seen since and <laughs> the fact that he kills what at this point if you haven't made further assumptions is going to be the main villain of the movie by basically taking his sword from him in a quick sort of switch around move yeah. and slicing him in the nards. And then like, while he's like doubled over, like, Oh my God, you just sliced me in the crotch. <laughs> just whack, wax his head off. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, like, wow, I have never seen that no, before. That you was... know, like that, at least that one, two punch I've seen people get, something happened to the to the crotchal area and i've seen people lose their heads but that quick little one-two punch was was wonderful i do have to give it that so that was completely unique that was very um, unique. i'll give it that but it then did seem at least again if you if you go off the point where you're like all right i, I haven't made a guess that there's going to be some other version of screw face or something else it does seem very abrupt you're like holy cow is the movie done now wait what like you know sort of thing 
Yeah, for sure. Definitely a very weird little. <laughs> and, and, you know, you'd think the movie would be over, but it's not because you you find out, oh, like they, they finally fully state like, oh, your twin brother was killed. And I was like, oh, OK, now I got it again. I was like paying attention, but I was not fully, fully paying. This is why I like missed these certain things or maybe I was just like. Just I don't know. My brain wasn't fully turned on at the time. <laughs> so now, again, they fly back to Chicago from Jamaica. And they brought back Screwface's head in a bag <laughs> on a commercial flight. Which you don't really find out, like, immediately, right? Like, it's more like they, they go to confront his gang and, and, like, in, again, another really utterly bizarre choice because clearly the gloves are off clearly he's murdering everybody at this point he goes into this gang to essentially try and make peace like they sort of like the three of them show up there um him the coach and like the third wheel guy that they picked up that was helping them with the weapons who's unnamed yeah and and like he's sort of is like Screwface is dead you have till tomorrow to clear out of town and i'm like why would these people do that like what what would you know like okay yeah their leader's dead but it's like Anytime you talk about any of these gang sort of movies, it's like you cut the head off and another one grows in. Like they could have walked into that room and all of them were gathered in like a convenient pile. Right. Like throw a grenade in the room or something. Jeez. Like, you know, like, you like, just killed so your, many people. Who bring cares? that light machine gun around and go, brrr, you know, I mean, like if you're going to kill everybody, kill everybody. I mean, like for crying out loud, like, you know, these are the people, these are literally the people that showed up and shot up your house and, and did all this stuff, you know, like, you think you would still be pretty angry with them. So I don't know. It, it seems like a bizarre thing, but then because they're kind of not believing him, I think that's when like that third guy like pulls out his decapitated head yeah. and, like to sort of spook them or something like that. And they end up like just kind of um, backing out the door, um, which as they're backing out the door, all of a sudden that third guy, I'm sorry, rip unknown guy's name. I'm sure they said your name in the movie at some point gets an, a sword through his chest and <gasps> reveal there is a second screw face and he's back from the dead, which now of course, like the gang is all like, <gasps> Oh my God, voodoo. He's back from the dead, you know, like sort of thing. So it, they almost lead you to believe like even his gang doesn't know this too. Didn't know that there's two of them or something, which is like a, a very fabulous illusion that those two brothers seemingly put on for. However, apparently a long time. A long, yeah. <laughs> a long con. Yeah, because you'd think that, like, it's like, oh, they can never be in the same room at the same time, if that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> so they talk on the phone to each other. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, so again, Rip, third guy, and, and I don't remember where the coach goes during this scene, if he starts fighting the gang members, or if he, he just he ducks then, out somewhere. I think he got shot, too. Did he get shot, he, he too, get, or something? Yeah. He doesn't get killed, but he does get shot. And, like, uh, you know, he's kind of wounded. He's down. So he he like leaves him with the dead friend and Seagal goes after Screwface and then we get the real sword fight to happen finally. Yeah, what really just sort of feels like the other half of the sword fight that started like literally like about eight or ten minutes earlier with, with yeah. his brother. Because this happens in pretty quick succession. There's not like a lot of like fluff in the middle. Yeah, so... The, the lair of the posse is like an industrial building, but 
as they move through the building, they enter this like temple of some sort inside <laughs> of the building, but it has like emergency exit lights in it. It's like, uh, how, who did the set design for this? Like, yeah. Make any sense? The uh, fire marshal would not let them cover up the exit signs. Apparently not. <laughs> so, and you can tell the actor who plays Screwface has never held a sword before because he doesn't know how to fight properly with it, even though that is apparently his weapon of choice, if you will. You know? Yeah, this poor guy, this poor actor is being asked to do a lot of heavy lifting in this movie. He's having to do like an accent that does not seem to at all be natural to him because it, as you said, sort of floats in and out. Now he's doing a sword fight that clearly does not seem natural at all to him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's... It, I you know I think it's just when a Seagal approaches a movie he says to people I want to fire guns and I want to fight with swords and then whoever's putting the movie together has to just make that happen one way or another. Yeah. So so as the fight progresses they go into like I don't know I guess it's a bar or kind of like a kitchen area. Yeah, like a club sort of can, thing, yeah. Yeah. And you can clearly tell that the actors that are doing the fight are definitely the stunt doubles and it just it just changes so quickly, but you can see it. And then like they cut back to Seagal <laughs> and he somehow gouges out Screwface's eyes. And then he like picks him up and he does like a bane and breaks Screwface's <laughs> spine over his leg. I will break your back. <laughs> I must break you. I was and, born in the darkness. <laughs> and And then he has arguably my favorite line of the movie does he throw screw face down he throws elevator? him down an elevator shaft right you know he's already gouged at his eyes he's broken his spine and now he throws him down an elevator shaft which by the way has like bizarrely random pieces of rebar just sticking up out yeah, of it for no reason <laughs> for no reason and his line literally is i hope they weren't triplets <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which i guess is fair yeah um, but yeah, what a lopsided fight because this again kind of goes back to there was no threat was for saying, Seagal. None. Well, again, it, it, there's like moments where there is like there's moments where the guy seems competent with the sword, and maybe again, maybe that's the stunt double there. And then there's moments where he just seems like as if it's like he just like bought that at like a dollar store and thought he'd like carry it around with him, and it just has no formal training, like. It's just such a bizarre lopsided sword fight where like it goes back and forth from like Seagal just completely dominating him one moment to like the guy gets in like a lucky score on his arm or, or things like that. It yeah. just again, it just feels so awkward and like not earned and like it doesn't feel like there's any stakes to trying to beat this bad guy. You know, I don't know. It just it's it's just so weird. It's so the it opposite of any other type of movie like this in that respect. And again, if we had Steven Seagal on here to interview, I'm sure he'd be like, you idiots, it's exactly what I want to show that like, you know, if you're proficient in this martial art, you would be able to take your enemy out with minimal energy spent and all this. I have no clue, but it just feels so awkward and lopsided and it just doesn't become like a really fun, engaging fight. So it, I'm happy for him to throw him down the well and then of course they have this like really silly shot of him like dead at the bottom oh, of the all the well gang members guts on the rebar and all the gang members are like crowding in a pile to like look at him dead and it's just like 
okay <laughs> you know like so all right <laughs> and, and that's it though but like but like the the gang is there's still 20 of those guys like they could have killed Seagal. his team is all down like he's got no gun but they just kind of like stay there and yeah Seagal and the gym coach and the dead jamaican cop friend that they made all leave and Seagal's carrying him in his arms and they're just credits yeah they're walking out of the warehouse there's no mention of the niece in a coma is she dead is she alive where's the sister nothing just three guys well two guys and a dead guy walking down the street roll credits and i was like that's it (laughs) yeah what what i mean you could i guess start making some assumptions built on the logic of this movie which is not logic that is normal logic but the logic of this movie is now like all right, well, those guys saw not one, but two of Screwface killed, and they're all so afraid of him that probably now they're going to go away, I I don't know, back to Jamaica, wherever they're going to leave Chicago. Everything's going to be peachy keen. I I don't know. Like, there's there's just no... There's the payoff in that he kills Screwface, but there's no payoff. Like, like, let's throw this into something like, for example, Taken, right? You have Liam Neeson... These people do wrong by him. They take his daughter. They kidnap his daughter. He's got a particular set of skills. He's going to hunt them all down and hunt them down. He does to the man to the point that when right. they go and do the sequel, There's like no the whole left. point of the sequel is like you killed everybody that was like all of our friends. Now we're going to come after you again, sort of thing. And then he goes and kills all of those people. You know what I mean? That's the payoff of that. Like these people came after you. They shot up your family. They they put your your niece in the hospital. She might be alive. She might be dead. We don't know. They nearly like they're also raped they're, or killed. They're your drug sister. dealers, and you're yeah, your coach you're buddy. Agent. Wants them up like, yeah, you're a D agent. You want to get rid of these drug dealers. The the coach guy is worried about them. You know, getting all these kids killed on crack and all this sort of thing. It's like it's like what a bizarre sort of plotting back and forth in this they just like it just makes no sense <laughs> it's like either wipe them all out or or something it just it and the movie leaves off feeling like there's just unfinished business you know, you know? it's and, and it's like really they weird. didn't call the cops they didn't call the fbi guy to arrest all these other dudes like they just kind of leave the scene of this you know crime well, even point in case like they they set up that like this fbi whole team turns out and takes over for the local police and kicks them out. You know, always that goofy trope of like, yeah. I've got, you know, right. authority here. Yeah. Well, your, oh. your boss is going to hear about this from me. Just pointless dialogue. And that was all just because there was like a little random shooting in a bar. Like, yeah. meanwhile, like what about like that storefront where he's like killing guys and, and like, you know, like there's all these other things where like all these people are getting killed. No sort of thing. Like, is he retired now? Is he going to retire now? Is it going to come back on him? And again, like the, is he the punisher now? Of like, all of this like, is that is the niece gets put in the hospital. Like, what the heck happened to her? You know, like last scene of this movie, like, yeah, you could do this where they're walking away and it like fades out and it fades back in the next day. And like the niece is finally awake in, in the hospital awake. and she's going to pull through. And and, you know, the, the psychologist calls him and says, oh, oh, the posse has left the town. We will not be seeing them again. 
you know, like, you know, whatever, just like end it properly. Like, Jesus, it just feels we've like rounded up all of the posse. They're missing. all under yeah. arrest. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah it's a just good really five minutes bizarre. of the movie that should be there. That's not, yeah, that, yeah. that part bummed me. I'm like, does the local football no team win the, the playoffs? I mean, like, <laughs> something. Give us a bone here. Does the gym coach go to jail, <laughs> like, for killing all these people? Like, you know, and like, he's yeah, not Screwface, a cop. He's a vigilante. Exactly. Screwface becomes like the face of the antagonism in this, but like, it's a drug posse. Like, he's the leader, but there's still a bunch of them. You know what I mean? Like, so, all right, he gets his comeuppance and, and there's twins and great they're dead but like that's just not the end that's just not the end for me and it just ugh. this one ended on just such a garbage note for me the yeah, way it, it a, did it is a bad ending real bad ending uh, that part bothered me because i was just like yeah. there's no there's so many unanswered questions the posse's still out there they could be you know they may not deal in Seagal's town, but they'll deal in the next town over. And he left them all now, alive. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, who knows? Maybe there was a, a concept brewing amongst them for a marked for death sequel. Maybe they wanted to leave some of this loose thread so they could kind of do some second part of it. I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> really? end of the day, I found this movie out of some of the other Seagal movies. And again, I could probably be talking really out of place because again, I haven't seen most of them in 20 years. I've probably seen a few more of them in, I don't know, you know, I did as time is going here, I was going to say something like 15 years, but actually probably 20 years is probably the newer ones. It's probably closer to the 30 year mark for some of the ones that I would have seen earlier on, you know, like, like some of these, like I said, we were watching them in high school I saw some of his newer ones in college. And again, it was always going in with the expectation that it was going to be hot garbage. It wasn't going in like, this is going to be an awesome flick. You know, it was like, let's see what new train Rex Seagal has put out. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like these movies are just fun to poke at. There's plenty to poke at that we probably glanced over in this movie. Just so many silly, dumb little things. You know, one of the things I thought I mentioned to you in the other one, and I was curious to get your feedback on, did you, did you catch what I was talking about with this weird run? <laughs> like his little feminine oh huffy puffy run so, <laughs> yeah so he goes for a jog with the gym coach and he is visibly winded at this <laughs> jog I was like like yeah he should not be he's like he's got a full-on track suit on and he's like <gasps> like and again this is not gonna yeah this is not gonna to do anything through. for for our listeners, but again, Mike and I can see each other in our in our recording thing now. But he does this like, <laughs> like, like essentially what I'm doing is like whirl whirling my arms around. And oh like again, God. anybody that knows Seagal is going to know this Seagal run. Uh, it's not um, a good run. That it's like it's it's just so it's goofy no over Will the top. Smith. It's, it's yeah, yeah, or yeah. It's just there's so many weird little funny things about him. Is the way he dresses himself that 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 breathy voice. And you know, this goes back to like what you were saying when he like talks to his niece and things like he's just got that that low breathy voice he's gonna he's gonna talk like this to everybody he's gonna talk to you know it's like it just comes off sounding so over the top so goofy it just i don't know (laughs) seagal not not that he'd ever hear this but i i I, it's one of those things i hope he doesn't hear this i don't want him to to mark me for death (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to come home and there's like a a ponytail strapped to my door or something. <laughs> <laughs> ponytail strapped to my door. Oh, that's fantastic. But I'm just like, 
you know, when when it came time back in the 80s where they said, okay, we need a new action star. Who thought like this is the guy? This ponytail toting Johnny Cash wannabe. It is interesting. It's always interesting how I mean it's interesting how any actor or actress or or you know, in this case, sort of action star, martial arts star, however granular you want to get to it, becomes something and rises to prominence. I don't know enough about Steven Seagal and his background before his film career as to who would have known him, where would he have popped on the scene from? You know, I feel like with the Chuck Norris's of the world, like Chuck Norris, well-known martial artist before he ever becomes a movie star. An actor. Yeah. yeah. So like, at least that's where he came from. Is that the case with Seagal? I have to assume it is. You know, like, I just don't know. I don't know either. Um, I, I'm assuming he doesn't just materialize on the movie-making scene and just start making this stuff. So I'm sure he must have some background in it. I, I, I'm, I'm curious now. I'll have to go probably look it up for myself. What What is the story of Steven Seagal? <laughs> you know, where does he come from? Um, but I, I'm sure there's something to do with that sort of thing is how he ends up in these movies. And some random producer probably like spots that and goes, Oh, we should make a picture together and, you know, off to the races you are. And that's kind of where he, he goes from there. But, you know, he has his hot spot there in the nineties. He does several movies that do various degrees of box office. Like we discussed last time and then he fizzles. And then he kind of has this like little, like mini resurgence in the early two thousands with a few movies that he tries to do. Glimmer man. And uh... I guess what I would like start referring to as like the, um, Steven Seagal meets rap portion of his yeah. career or something, you know, like where Seagal second act <laughs> has to like reinvent himself as like being down and cool. And he's going to, you know, use hip hop and, and stuff like that to get into his, his next stage of his career. And then you have like the third stage of his career, which is that all of a sudden he's on like that, like, you know, cops esque show where he's like a Houston police officer and it's about him. Truly, he joined the Houston Police Department and and his travails of going around and bothering people with DUIs and whatever, I guess, you know, I mean, at at that point, he's kind of just like, you know, older Seagal, much more out of shape Seagal, (laughs) you know, like, I think he still has the ponytail Seagal, but, you know, it it is what it is. And, you know, you know, that's any of these people's sort of career trajectories. I'm, you know, some burn brighter and faster than others, I guess, guess you know. Um, but uh, I don't know. Steven Seagal, you love him. You hate him. His movies movies. (laughs) awesome. His movies are awesome to make fun of. You know, it is what it is. There's, there's going to be a million different opinions. I'm sure out there from folks on how they feel about the man, the myth, the legend, the trash fire. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Trash fire. But, uh, but that's, that's marked for death. Um, so overall, um it was a movie <laughs> you know it, it was a movie um it, it happened uh you know it, <laughs> like, it was a movie <laughs> okay. okay i i actually i'm so glad that you used those exact words and i'll tell you why i was just talking to adam about this the other night when we were reviewing dark man which is dropping this yep. week folks so you'll you're going to get a double dose of movies from me this week. One from I Wizards <laughs> and one for March for Death. And look Adam, out for that on Wizards Wednesday. Yeah. So Adam <laughs> Which says will have happened me, before this one comes out. <laughs> yeah. So Adam says to me, we should start our own T Public store 
and put these quippy little lines on t-shirts with our logo. And one of them I referenced was us saying, well, it's a movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, that's fantastic. And the fact that you said it, I was like, yeah, vindication. I picked that thing up from you. <laughs> you might have picked it up from me. <laughs> I think that's a I think that's one of yours. I think I've probably swiped that over time. That's good. Um, but it's it's completely apt in this at this point here. Yeah, I mean, like again, it, I I don't know that it's my favorite one of his. No, um, it's not my favorite. At I, all. Again, I I really struggle to remember what each of the earlier ones was about. I remember one where it's like, I think it has to do with the Navy or or something like that. He's on a ship. I remember that one that's kind of quasi Native American oh. themed as far as he goes. You know, th- there's a bunch of those. They all blend together. At into Steven Seagal mush for me. Well, I, th- um, I think his best movie is obviously Under Siege, but yeah, um, there's the other one where he's in a coma, then comes out of the coma, and he's like punching a, a wooden board for about six months. And uh, <laughs> uh, what's it called? I think it's called like Out for Justice or or I don't know what's it called. I'm talking and I'm not paying attention to what I'm saying. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's uh, what's it called? Hard to kill. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's hard to yeah. kill. Where he he like he gets his whole family gets killed. He gets you know put into a coma. He comes out of the coma and and his name <laughs> in the movie is Mason Storm. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I kind of like got like I, I was sort of, I rode the wave with him where we were poking fun and, and having a good time with it in high school. But I rode the wave with him where like I kind of, he became like a meme before a meme for me in college with Exit Wounds, with Half Past Dead. Like I was into those, not because I thought they were good movies, but because I was like, look at this fool. You know, what I mean, like it just like. <laughs> I think those are the ones that I definitely like, um, you know, lean mords to, um, you know, they're just, they're just utterly bonkers. And I, I think it was like one last, um, ditch effort on him to, to kind of do these sort of things. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I pulled up, um, for myself, his IMDb, just cause I was curious. And the funny thing is he's got quite a lot of other movies. Um, and most of them, He's got a lot of our marked video. So I'm assuming most of these went straight to home and that's why I never have seen a bunch of these. Um, but yeah, again, like just the names and things like that, as you sort of say, like it, in above the law, Nico Toscani, like what an Italian, like schlock name. And then as you Mason storm and hard to kill John Hatcher, marked for death, detective Gino Felino in out for justice. Like, where do you come? up with these things uh in under siege is casey ryback which is fine um i like jack taggart and fire down below um orin boyd and exit i do remember that one half past dead this name is gigantic sasha petrosevich i guess like the foreigner jonathan cold out for a kill professor glimmer man (laughs) yeah uh glimmer man is lieutenant jack cole that one's fine that that sounds very military-esque uh attack force commander marshall lawson you know <laughs> like, like where do you come up with these attack things 
Force is the name of a movie. Attack Force is the yeah. name of a movie. Oh my god! My favorite thing awesome. is like starting around 2008 onward. And again, I don't know most of these movies, but he has a series of movies where he just doesn't even have a last name. It's like Kill Switch, Jacob, Against the Dark, How, Driven to Kill, Ruslan, <laughs> Machete. You know, so he he met up with Jan, uh, Danny Trejo again. Machete Torres. Maximum conviction, cross, <laughs> you know, like a good man, Alexander, sniper, special ops, Jake, <laughs> you know, like it just gets so goofy as you get up to the top of the list here, where it's just like these, like just really silly single names. There's a movie called The Perfect Weapon. He's called The Director. <laughs> I, I kind of want to like just like this could be a whole other podcast unto itself. It's just watching every Seagal movie and trying to survive through it. It's like all these just goofy, oh, man. Awful I'm sure there's got to be one. Was he in the, uh, yeah, I'm not seeing it in the list here. I was going to ask if he was in the, um, what were those movies from a few years ago where it had like all the action stars? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the Expendables? Expendables. Was, Expendables? He, was he in any of those? If I not, he should have so. been. Oh, he got I left out. That's sad. Money. That's sad. You know what? Actually, the funny part is, yeah, I almost feel like, as you mentioned that, I almost feel like I remember hearing something at the time that, like, he was being disagreeable about being in those. He should have been in those. They should have made that work. Either he should have made it work or they should have made it work. I think that's a little sad. At one point, like, he was up for a role. And I know that um, Chuck Norris was in one, but then he wanted more money for another one and wouldn't take more money. So they didn't bring him back. And, and Seagal was going to be like replacing him, but again, he wanted too much money, and they're like, "No, sorry, like we're financing this with you know, whatever money we've got, basically." Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's kind of probably wrap it up for us for Steven Seagal, Mark for Death, October nineteen ninety. Any last thoughts from you, sir? So, overall, like you said, it's a movie. Is it a great movie? No, it's not a great movie. Is it something you could watch to kind of like have on in the background? Sure. Just don't have your kids in the room because of the nudity and the <laughs> tremendous amount of gunfire. But Although on that note, I'll say it might be hard to have it on in the background because you and I struggled to find a copy of this out in the wild. <laughs> it was hard to find. Yes, that's true. Uh, if you want to really pay for it, then that's that's up to you. Yeah, there's a few uh, venues I saw like Amazon and a few that, that, that had it for sale and things like that here. But it doesn't seem to be out there streaming. I think one of these um, Netflix or, or maybe the failing. Uh, what was that one that came out this year? Quibi. Tubi? Quibi. Quibi. Yeah, Quibi could do. Well, to try and pick up the uh, Steven Seagal collection and see if they could uh, make some scratch <laughs> off of that. <laughs> they, need they spent a billion dollars and they were done in six months. So that's yeah. Not good. <laughs> but um, but anyway, as you mentioned at the top of the show, very exciting two months coming up. We have Home Alone coming up this month. Yes. And then Dances with Wolves for nine hours in, in December. So, yes, Dances with Wolves is going to be our second where we're um, following the rules of Box Office 30 and moving down the list to the second top highest because uh, Home Alone holds that top spot for several months out, if I recall correctly from yeah. here. I'm surprised because doesn't Home Alone get released late in November? Um, I don't remember. I guess we'll find out next time. We will find out <laughs> next time. So, uh, Anyway. As always, for those of you out there who are enjoying our show and tuning in, 
thank you so much for listening and, and checking us out. And we need a catchphrase. We have a catchphrase. <laughs> we tried it one other time and it, it failed miserably. <laughs> so here's a here's a, what we'll do because we need to double up on this. If you have a really good idea for a catchphrase, sign-off phrase for us, let us know on our socials. <laughs> you can yeah. find us at Box Office 30 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Facebook and Twitter, it is Box Office 30. And on Instagram, it is Box Office T-H-I-R-T-Y. So make sure you uh, let us know what you think about the show. Let us know um, if you've got some really great uh, sign-off lines for us that we can incorporate into, into some of our upcoming episodes and Maybe yours will be included, but uh, really, we would like to hear from you guys, um, get some feedback on the show. And, uh, you know, we're very um, happy to have anybody um, listening. And we're, of course, always very thankful to the um, parent uh, retro network uh, that, you know, takes such good care of us, gives us a spot to live on the web. Um, So very special thank you to everybody involved there. Um, Yeah. And, and check us out on whatever podcast platform you listen to. iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. Yeah, and give us some five-star so ratings. Yeah, give us some good ratings. Let us get some more folks finding us here. As long as those folks finding us are not Steven Seagal. <laughs> I do not want a visit from that guy. Oh, no. Oh, boy. And on that note, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next month. See you later. of the Retro Network.